Tonight we will not have the round table as we have a guest speaker who will be here to present lessons Sunday morning Bible class, Sunday morning worship, and Sunday evening worship. So please be aware that we will not do the round table next Sunday night. We will follow up with one final round table on this topic two weeks from tonight. And then from there we will introduce a new sermon series for a few weeks on Sunday evenings. So next week, no roundtable. We'll resume in two weeks. Um, tonight we're continuing the study of Paul's life. And what we want to do tonight is focus on some of the significant relationships that, that Paul had formed with people. We, we're focusing on his companions. You know, it's very easy for us to get focused on Paul's life and mission work and writing and teaching and, and, and all of those aspects of his ministry. But one of the things Paul was really great at was building meaningful relationships. And tonight we really want to focus in on, on three relationships and, and, uh, that Paul uh, developed, and we want to apply those to our own lives and our own spiritual well-being. Uh, but what I want to do first is, is turn to Acts chapter 9. The first companion of Paul that we really want to uh, focus in on is the one he's probably the most uh, recognized with, and that's Barnabas. And, and I just want to look at a couple of passages as we get started that illustrate well this relationship between Barnabas and Paul. You're going to re likely recall that Barnabas is a significant part of the first missionary journey. Uh, he's with Paul from Acts 13 through Acts 15. But notice here in Acts chapter 9, the, the first introduction we have to, to Paul and Barnabas' relationship. It's in verse 26 and was partially covered a few weeks ago. But Acts chapter 9 verse 26, when they when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now look, go over two chapters to Acts chapter 11. And I want you to notice uh, what the, the second instance we have of Paul and Barnabas' relationship. It's in Acts chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 19 and read for a little bit. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So those are the first two stories we have that relate to us this companion of Paul's. That Barnabas and Paul have this unique relationship. From there they will become missionary partners. So I want to start with this question. I'm going to throw it to Jay. Jay, when you study the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, how would you describe it? 
You know, I was, trying to th- I was trying to come up with one good word that would describe the relationship, and the best one I could come up with was something around the lines of comrade. Two men who were serving almost in a, almost as two soldiers working together in the trenches. It reminded me of something that, it's kind of an interesting thing, uh, that started World War I, World War II, the Army was trying to get people to, ooh, hello, uh, people, where they were trying to get people to enlist, they came up with this program called your Battle Buddy, and you could enlist in the military with your best friend. And that was, a, that was made up to, you know, to kind of bolster people wanting to sign up. You could sign up with your, your friend. You could go to basic training together, and you could go through the whole. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. <laughs> sometimes they'd be you know, separated. But that's really what I think about when I think about Paul and Barnabas, because you, you have this first meeting in Acts chapter 9 where it's almost like they're, Barnabas you know, obviously is having to bring Paul, Saul at that moment, Saul into the fold here. And then the very next time we really see these two men, Acts chapter 11 that we just read, uh, Barnabas is working. And he needs some help in this area. And who does he go get? He goes and gets this man that he knows very well. He, they, have, they have almost worked together a little bit. They've known each other a little. And so in Acts chapter 11, they go and they work together for you know, a, good, you know, a good amount of years there in Acts chapter 11. So Acts chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. While they were ministering to the Lord and, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, to, the work to which I have called them. Then when they have fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And I think it makes sense to me that the two men that were paired together to go pretty much on the front lines on a, on a special mission to, to spread the gospel, spread the good news, would be these two men who have worked together well. They almost, almost like they enlisted together, they've been training together, they've been working well together, and now they're being sent out together to work with one another. And so that's kind of how I, I see these two men. It's almost like they're, they're working and living in the trenches together um, throughout their ministry, up to Acts 15. And we, we, we have the schism there, but also they, they kind of patch that back together. And so I'm reminded of the verse, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. I think Paul and Barnabas, they shared some really good times together. They shared, um, the, you know, they got to see the new congregations being formed. They got to see countless bro- new brothers and sisters being brought to the Lord together. They also had to go through some pretty tough times when they ran out of cities, when they're having to shake the dust off their feet, when they're beaten for, their, for the gospel. And so... I think about, you know, friends in my life who've gone through things with me before. You know, they've been, you know, what the, the terminology that we still use today, you know, they kind of, they were, you know, that guy, you know, he's in my foxhole. Or, you know, this friendship, my family, the, the, you know, they went through the trenches with me when, you know, we were going through that or whatever it may be. And I wonder if that's how Paul and Barnabas saw each other. You know, that, they were on the front lines working together on this very first missionary journey. Really not knowing what that was going to look like or how that was going to be, they were the ones sent out to work together. Well, I, you know, that's, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way when I looked at Barnabas because, and, and I definitely think that they were together with one another throughout so many different hard times and difficult times. But what's interesting to me with Barnabas specifically, in contrast to different companions that Paul had, is to me, Barnabas was almost a mentor to Paul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't really think about that when we think about the life of Paul. We think of Paul as, you know, this top guy, you know, the, 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 the top guy in the church. 
But to me, I, I've, I've always seen Barnabas almost as a mentor to Paul. And we think about Paul as the mentor to Timothy and Titus and others we're going to talk about a bit later. But to me, I, I want to look at it from the scope of Barnabas being a mentor to Paul in that if you look at chapter 4, when we first get introduced to Barnabas, uh, we see what happens in chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira try to be like Barnabas, but they don't go all the way. We see what Barnabas does before that. <clears throat> Barnabas, uh, verse 34, nor there was anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. They, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who's now, who, who's, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levi of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so here, the first entrance into the life of Barnabas, we see him giving an example of letting all things go for the sake of Christ. You know, Paul would say later to live as Christ and to die as gain. Barnabas was one who showed that message to him. You look at chapter 9, as we've, as we've already read, it was Barnabas who took Saul to Jerusalem before the apostles. He took, we talked about that a few weeks ago. That means he... He might have took him by the arm and brought him before the apostles. You look at chapter 11, we just read it again. Barnabas is the one that sought Saul out. Barnabas was the one who found him and brought him to Antioch. You think about this relationship, usually it's, it's Paul going out and bringing others places. But when we see this early on in the book of Acts, it's Barnabas bringing Saul, bringing Paul to places, teaching him the ways of the church, the, 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 the ways of the way, you know, of Christ and what it means to be a Christian as he is young in his faith. You know, he was obviously given a measure, of, a full measure of the Holy Spirit, but he also had to have somebody who was there to encourage him, to mentor him, uh, and, and to show him the ropes in certain uh, way in, in, a, in, a, in many respects, uh, and to give him a chance when no one else would. That's what a mentor does to one of their students. They give him a chance when nobody else would. And that's exactly what I see Barnabas as throughout the book of Acts and through his ministry as we look at Paul's life. And uh, to me, I, I think the lesson learned here, and maybe we can talk about this in a minute, is that even the greatest spiritual giants need a mentor. I got a few more thoughts on that in a minute. But I look at Barnabas as sort of a mentor to Paul, and maybe that's a different light uh, than we've ever thought about before. I think um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the scripture uh, tells us uh, one thing about what uh, Brother Ben said. Actually, until chapter 14, uh, some verse, the scripture Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. So the scripture <laughs> calls them in order, Barnabas and Saul. But in um, actually in uh, chapter 14, verse 12, uh, Barnabas, they called Zeus, uh, like, I mean, it is in Lystra, I think, uh, Lyconian area. And people called uh, Barnabas Zeus, which is the supreme god in their you know, mind, and uh, they call Saul as uh, uh, 
Hermes. Hermes. Uh, so it's the messenger of Jews. Messenger, messenger of Jews. So probably uh, that is the way they, uh, the people that time saw the relationship Barnabas and Saul. So I think, I mean, it also supports your idea. You know, and point. piggybacking off of Ben, I, when I thought of Barnabas, just his name as son of encouragement, the, the, the fact that he's an encourager stood out to me. And I think that, that Barnabas was, this sounds so weird, was Paul's cheerleader. He was Paul's champion. So when, when, when Paul becomes a Christian, it's Barnabas who's going to take the first chance on Paul. He's going to go get Paul and bring him to meet with the apostles. He wants Paul included. He doesn't want Paul left out. When he goes to Antioch and starts, and starts working there, and, and he sees that the, the, the Lord is just showering blessings on the congregation up there, he goes and gets Paul to come back and work with him because he doesn't want Paul left out of the, the, the work. He doesn't want Paul left out of the ministry. So Barnabas, whether you refer to him as a mentor or an encourager or, or, or whatnot, he's the guy that is always concerned about Paul. And he wants to make sure that Paul's included in fellowship and Paul's included in ministry. And, and so that does lead us to what can we really gain from that relationship between Paul and Barnabas for our own lives today? Spiritually speaking, when it comes to our relationships, what can we gain from that? Guys, Ben, why don't you go ahead and start us off since you were already alluding to it. Yeah, you know, I, I said a, a second ago that even the greatest spiritual giants need a cheerleader, need a mentor, need someone to show them the way. And you think about some of the greatest names that you, you can conjure up in, in your lifetime of, of missionaries or gospel preachers or whoever the case might be, you realize that they had someone, sometime, somewhere in their life that was their cheerleader, that was their mentor, that they stood the sh on their shoulders. I, you know, I, I, I'm looking at John Burnett here, and he, when, when his father passed, he, he had an extra book in his library, and John thought to himself, my dad must have wanted to pass this book on to someone else. And I will go into my office one day, and there that book is, with that message written in it. And I just cried my eyes out, thinking about, that's exactly what his dad probably was doing. That's the kind of relationship that we find in the church, this mentorship, this companionship, as we look at the relationship between Barnabas and Saul to Paul here. That's what we got to be searching out. And that's what we have to realize when we think about the giants of the faith, when we think about the greatest gospel preachers, and we think about the great apostle Paul who had the highest light of anyone throughout the New Testament, right? We have to realize that he didn't just do it alone. That's why we're talking about his companions tonight. That's why we're talking about all these different people that impacted his life, that made a difference in his life. We have to understand that it takes all different kinds to make the body of Christ work effectively. And it takes even for the most spiritual, greatest giants we can think of take someone showing them the ropes, someone giving them a chance, someone looking to them and encouraging them throughout their way. And you look at the life of Paul, he was someone who needed that. When he was in the darkness, Barnabas was the one who brought him to the light. 
And we have to search that out in our lives, and we have to be that for others. That's what I look and I take away from the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. That is who Barnabas is to me. When I look at the life of Barnabas, he was the one who showed Paul what it meant to live as Christ and to die as gain. That, that's what I get from Barnabas. I'll read a passage, Acts chapter 14. Uh, this is after, a little bit, long, little bit later, after they've been praised by one group that they, they think they're you know, Greek gods, but then a little bit, just the next city down the road, it's the exact opposite. Uh, verse, 18, or verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away, went away with Barnabas to Derby. And I think about when it comes to having someone in the trenches with you, someone who is fighting alongside you, someone to, to kind of hold your hand, to be there for you. It's imperative that as someone that's fighting with you have a Christian mindset as well. You know, we all have friends from our family, we have friends from work, we have friends that we grew up with that, you know, have fought in the trenches with us, who have been there with us thick and thin, but maybe you're not part of the faith, or part of the faith, or no longer in the faith. Well, I think that I think there, there's something to be said about investing in relationships we have within the church. Because what if Barnabas, you know, here after Paul has just been stoned to the point where everybody thinks he's dead, instead of helping Paul to his feet and saying, okay, now we've got to go to this city, what if he was a man and says, you know what, what if we took a break? Someone with a worldly mindset said, Paul, you know, this has almost cost you your life. I don't know if this is worth it. But Barnabas, being the son of encouragement, Barnabas being this cheerleader, this mentor, Knew the job. He said, "Okay, now we're moving to the next city. Glad you're okay. You know, let's dust the, you know, the, the, the let's dust the, the dirt off our feet and keep going to the next city." And so I think it's imperative and a lesson that we all need to learn today is that this person we have in the trench that, that we need to have that person to, to work alongside us. But it's also important that we have someone of the faith that's working alongside us, so that when we are down in a spiritual way or when we are down in life, the person, the thing that they're pointing us to, is our faith and to God Himself. Uh, I appreciate the, you know, the, the positive uh, comments about the Barnabas, but actually I don't want to uh, say anything negative about Barnabas, but you know, I, I, I think I have to mention something about Barnabas because I have, we have some you know, negative uh, happening about Barnabas and, about, uh, Barnabas and Paul I mean, between them uh, in Acts chapter 15. They separated after uh, a sharp disagreement regarding uh, John Mark, uh, Barnabas' nephew, cousin, what nephew? Yeah. One of those, yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to, I mean, carefully mention uh, this uh, because it is in the scripture. We have to, you know, talk about it and learn from it. Uh, one thing. <laughs> that stood to me from the scripture after the dissension is that uh, verse 40, chapter 15, verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So what Paul uh, was affirmed or approved uh, by the church is that he was commanded uh, by the church, by the brothers and sisters, because Paul was 
going to the work that he had to, and that was recorded in the Bible in the rest of the you know chapters of Acts. So by that scripture, by the scripture, by the uh, you know description of the scripture, I just uh, indirectly sense that Barnabas made a mistake. Not. I'm not saying that Barnabas should not uh, have expressed his opinion about John Mark, but, I'm, but what I'm trying to say is that uh, Barnabas should have listened to the leaders of the church. And the leaders of the church or the church itself and the brothers and sisters uh, recommended them, I mean Paul, to continue the work, I mean, Paul and Barnabas too, but he got, he got out of that work. Actually, uh, who, who gave them, Barnabas and Paul, the work to preach the gospel in the areas that they preach it was the Holy Spirit in verse, I mean, in chapter 13, uh, like uh, Jay read, you know, the Holy Spirit separated them for the work to preach the gospel to that area, to those areas. Paul continued the work, but Barnabas got out of that work. Only that result stood out to me. Even though there was a, a sharp agreement, a disagreement between uh, Barnabas and Paul, probably uh, Paul was listening to the brothers and listening to what the Holy Spirit told him to do, but Barnabas was not, according to the result, I mean, according to the record of the scripture. So uh, it is unfortunate, I think. I don't know what Barnabas uh, had done, uh, I mean, would have done uh, after that. Uh, but anyway, you know, according to the scripture, in the rest of the chapters of the book of Acts, we know that Paul continued the work that the Holy Spirit commanded them to do, but Barnabas didn't. So sometimes we may have some disagreement regarding the work. Uh, you know, one thinks this is the work of the Lord, and the other one thinks that this is the work that we have to do. But in that case, probably the best thing we can do is to listen to the whole congregation or listen to the leaders of the church. You know, when we look at this division that happened, isn't it amazing that even among such uh, dissension or uh, disagreement, how God worked through it? And in that way, we got to look at Barnabas here and looking at how he treated John Mark and realize that it wasn't really time to shake the dust off of his feet when it came to John Mark. Even though John Mark had let them down earlier throughout the book of Acts, Barnabas gave him another shot. And in that, John Mark would go on to write the gospel of Mark. And if he hadn't have given him that chance, if he hadn't have said, no, I, I want to give John Mark another shot, there's no telling what would have happened to John Mark. And so when we think about this division, it's amazing how even among division in the church, where I would say no one, neither one of these men were right or wrong. I do not believe Paul was wrong in saying that we need to 
have the most dedicated men with us. I don't think that's wrong of Paul to say. And I also don't think it's wrong for John Mark or for Barnabas to say, let's give John Mark another shot because I've been given another shot. And, and because of that, you know, we can continue on in our lives. And John Mark, as we know, went on to write that gospel. So as we think about this division, as we think about Barnabas, as we're talking about him tonight, he was just giving John Mark the shot that he gave Paul a few chapters earlier. That's the way I look at this division. Just one little side note there as well. I'm fascinated because when you get to the end of 2 Timothy, when Paul's in prison and writing to Timothy, this is one of the instructions he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. <laughs> it's interesting how the story goes full circle and how uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Barnabas had a, such a positive influence that he became a useful agent to Paul later on. But Mingu introduces us to our next companion that we need to talk about. Because you notice, when, when Paul and Barnabas have their disagreement and go their separate ways, Mingu read from us verse 40, where Paul made a new selection of someone to go on the second missionary journey with him. And he chose Silas. And as Mingu pointed out, Paul's selection here and choice of missionary effort is commended by the brothers. So it's fascinating. Paul loses such a great companion, but he makes a really smart choice on his second companion, which is Silas. And, and Ben, why don't, you, why don't you describe the relationship between Paul and Silas for us? You know, what's interesting about the roundtable uh, format and, and what we do each Sunday night is we all have different perspectives and, and different things that we see throughout the text. And to me, uh, where Jay saw uh, Barnabas as someone who was a soldier right beside uh, Paul, I definitely see that. To me, I, I saw Silas that way. Isn't it interesting how we see different characters different ways? And when I look at the life of Silas, if you were in the Under the Radar series on Wednesday nights a little while ago, I, I talked about Silas and, and how he was an unsung hero of the faith because he was in Paul's foxhole. And what's that statement mean when we think about being in someone's foxhole? Really realize that soldiers uh, in World War I, World War II, they were trapped in these foxholes for days. Whether it be in no man's land between enemy lines. And so they had to stick by one another regardless of what was happening. Regardless of what bombs were flying over their head or, or what tear gas was, whatever the case might be, they had to stay in one another's foxhole. And so when I look at the life of Silas, I think of, someone, of him as someone who stayed in Paul's foxhole. Regardless of where Paul wanted to go or what Paul wanted to do or what persecution Paul experienced, Silas was right there with him. Silas was right there in the foxhole getting the same stripes, getting the same beatings, getting the same suffering that Paul experienced. And you see that in chapter 16 uh, when Paul and Silas are in prison in, in the Philippian jail. And as we look at that story, I talked about this in this Unsung Heroes uh, class, but it's Paul and Silas who were sitting there singing hymns. It's Paul and Silas who have been uh, beaten and, and torn their clothes off and 
Uh, they were beaten with rods and they laid many stripes on them. They threw them into prison. Uh, you, you look at this relationship between Paul and Silas, it so often says them. It so often says they when they're talking about what they went through together. And sometimes that's not the case with other companions of Paul. Paul uh, goes through it alone sometimes, but when he chose Silas, I believe he chose Silas there in chapter 15 because he knew Silas was going to be in his foxhole. That Silas was going to be there through the darkest of times and he could depend on him as that companion to be there with him till the end. And that's exactly how we see Silas uh, as, as we go throughout the book of Acts. Silas is the one, as I said in the Unsung Heroes class, who never let his light be dimmed. So that's how I see Silas, and, and, and as we look at this tonight, there's many things to learn from that. Yeah. Mingu or Jay, would you like to add anything to that? Um, it's interesting that uh, you know, uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 32, uh, describes Silas as a prophet. Uh, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets. Uh, so probably, I take the word prophet as the uh, speaker or a proclaimer of the word of God. So it is not necessarily uh, a person who foresees something and uh, gets revelation from God directly to pr pronounce it. But I think, uh, in general, uh, the prophet could be understood as a person who uh, speaks or you know, delivers the word of God. So uh, I think it is interesting that Silas was really focused on speaking the word of God. So that's why I think Paul chose Silas as his companion. Yeah, I kind of noticed a similar thing, just the fact that it's not far after we are introduced to Silas, what you just read, verse 32, that then when there is that split and Barnabas says, well, I want to take the one man we do know that, that's come with us before, and who does Paul go to? He, well, he goes to the, one, the other person he really just met, in this realm at least, and brings him with him. So Silas, it seems like he comes on the scene, Paul is impressed by him and says, okay, if I'm going to go back out, this is the man I want with me. And so you have that where most of the times when you have Paul and Barnabas speaking and you have Paul, you have Paul and Barnabas on mission trips, it's what we have record of is Paul is the one speaking. Whereas now with Paul and Silas, it seems like the load is shared a little bit more where Silas is also known, um, verse 32, because they're encouraging and strengthening the brother with a lengthy message, right? So Paul's not the only one known to have some lengthy messages in the scripture. Silas is right there with him. So I think this is an attractive option for, for Paul to say, okay, um, I'm going to bring someone with me that can can, you know, speak just as well as me in, in this realm. So, very similar to that. You know, and, and when, I, when I think about um, the relationship, the, com the companionship between Paul and Silas, it makes me think to myself that we need to surround ourselves with Silas's. We need to choose people that we're going to uh, go through life with who meet the standard of a Silas, the person who will be there for the highs and the lows, person who will support you. And it makes me think uh, one of the passage Jay read earlier from Proverbs chapter 17, but also Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 26, uh, which says, one who is, 
I had to make sure I was reading the right verse there for a second. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. In other words, choosing somebody who has the, the same value system and who uh, um, prioritizes the same thing, spiritually speaking, is going to be a guide in your life. And I think that's what, what Silas did when he came into the scenario. And I also think of 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. And so we need to be very selective about the people we associate with. And I think that's what we can highlight, in my, in my mind, from Paul choosing Silas. When you think back to the Paul and Barnabas relationship, that one was kind of, as missionary partners, chosen by the Holy Spirit. This time, Paul's choosing who he's going to be partnered with. And we make those same choices every day with who we're going to associate with, who we're going to surround ourselves with. And I think this is an example of how we need to be very selective with who we associate with. Guys, what, what, what other lessons do you think we can learn from the Paul and Silas relationship that will benefit us today? You know, the ultimate lesson, obviously, if, if Silas is someone who is in, in Paul's foxhole, the obvious lesson is, like, like you're saying, is that we have to find those who are going to be in our foxhole, that are going to be there with us through the darkest of times and, and through our, our hard times in life. Uh, and that's sometimes difficult to find, isn't it? Have you ever found yourself at, at different times in your life feeling like nobody is on my side right now? Nobody is in my foxhole. You know, when I find myself in those moments, and I've had those moments, I ask myself, am I, am I someone that they want in their foxhole? If the answer is no, then the first thing I got to do is fix myself and, and look to myself and, and wonder to myself, why am I not someone they want in their foxhole? If you're saying to yourself, oh, poor pitiful me, nobody's in my foxhole, nobody's on my side, you may need to think about yourself because Paul wanted Silas in his foxhole. Paul knew he would be there for him in the darkest of times. If you're sitting there thinking no one's in my side, no one's in my foxhole, it might be because you're not someone that they want in their foxhole. You have done nothing to prove to anybody or to them specifically that you're going to be there for them. That's just a personal challenge. It's the same with Barnabas. If you're thinking to yourself, well, nobody wants to get mentored by me, well, there may be a reason for that. You know what I'm saying? And so let's think about this and, and, and think about that challenge to ourselves as we think about uh, this idea of, of being there for someone. You know, when we think about who, those people who are there for us, who are in our foxhole, they're there no matter what. We don't have to explain. We, we don't have to uh, uh, explain what we've been through, explain what we've done. They already know, and they're there for us. So find those people and be that person someone any other thoughts before we move on to the third companion all right so turn over to acts chapter 16 we get introduced to the third companion we want to uh, emphasize this evening and that is timothy in the first uh, five or so verses we learn that when paul arrived in in uh, derby and lystra he 
found a disciple there named Timothy. This is an individual who had already become a, a Christian. And Timothy had a unique background. His mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. We also find out that he has a great reputation. He is well spoken of by the brothers. And Paul, this is fascinating to me because this is the first time it happens in any of his work. He wants to recruit Timothy. He, it says in verse 3 that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Something about Timothy was so great that Paul wanted Timothy with him the rest of his, his uh, ministerial time. And if you study the, the New Testament, Timothy gets mentioned in the greetings of more of Paul's letters than any other companion. Timothy receives two personal letters from Paul. Timothy's going to be assigned to some of the most difficult ministry situations that Paul faced. He'll be sent to Corinth to help work out some of the problems that are happening there. He's going to be sent to Ephesus and charged with appointing elders there and dealing with false teaching there. He, Timothy becomes Paul's right-hand man, and his relationship with Paul is very significant and, and, and very personal when you read the text of Scripture. And so I'm going to turn it over to Mingu now, and, and Mingu, well, let me begin with this question. How would you describe the relationship between Paul and Timothy? Um, I think there are three uh, words that we can uh, use to describe the relationship between uh, Paul and Timothy. Uh, the one of the I mean, one of the uh, one of the words is the son. I mean, child. Uh, Paul called him child. I think it is Second um, uh, Timothy itself, uh, the uh, chapter one, verse two, calls him child, and also First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse ten and eleven, calls him the child. Uh, in the, I mean, beloved and faithful child in the Lord. So that, then another word uh, to describe the relationship is fellow worker. Co Paul calls Timothy as fellow worker uh, in Romans chapter 16 and, uh, and also First um, Corinthians chapter 4. And also the other word is the... Um, I mean, I don't know the, I, I don't know the, I mean, the word, right word, but uh, Timothy was one that Paul commanded or charged something. So probably it's a disciple, Paul's disciple, or Paul's uh, a soldier, or lower rank soldier, or things like that. So it is a, a unique uh, relationship. Uh, in two cases, uh, first, first Timothy, uh, chapter one, verse eighteen, Paul charged something to do, and also uh, chapter one, first uh, Timothy, chapter one, also uh, says that uh, Paul charged something to Timothy, and also there is another uh, passage uh, when Paul and Sil—I mean Timothy and Silas—were remaining in Athens, Paul commanded them to come to Athens. Uh, very unique word, strong, very unique word. In chapter, uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 40, 
uh, Paul commanded them to come to Athens. So the relationship between Paul and uh, not only Silas but also Timothy was some, uh, something like you know Paul could command them to do something. So that was very strong relationship. But we know that as Paul himself said, uh, Paul, I mean Timothy was a faithful, faithful worker and co-worker so that uh, we can uh, conclude that, we can believe that Timothy uh, you know, obeyed the commandment of Paul to do something in the Lord. But I think one other thing uh, which stood to me was Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul mentions Timothy as the co-author or co sender of the letter. So Paul and Timothy to the Philippians, like that. So I think uh, Paul was taking Timothy as a very special man, I mean, brother or child in the Lord, uh, that, they, that he thought that he was a co-author or you know, co-sender of the letter. I think so that these words are enough to describe the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Yeah. Staying, staying in Philippians, I wanted to read a passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through uh, uh, 22. Um, to me, this is really shows the love that Paul has for Timothy here. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I, that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, speaking of Timothy, proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. You know, speaking to what Mingyu, what you're saying, there's definitely this aspect of a father-son. He keeps calling him my beloved and faithful son, my true son. So it, it, there's that next level of a mentorship to a father and son. But I wonder if that begins, I wonder if, my thoughts on this would be, I wonder if Paul starts using the language of my son because he sees himself in Timothy. He sees his own attributes. He sees there's no one else. That, he calls him a kindred spirit. There's no one else that has the same mindset that I have. And so maybe that's why he used that language, my, my true and faithful son. And so I think to that, we see this idea that Timothy became someone that Paul could trust. Like you were saying, Kyle, they could, he could trust him in any situation. And back in Paul, uh, back in Paul 17, Acts 17, there's a, there's a really delicate situation. They're in uh, Berea, the some noble-minded Jews from Thessalonica come and find them out and stir, stir up the crowd. And, and Paul has to be you know, whisked away in verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Paul trusted them. He trusted Silas and Timothy, saying, okay, I can't stay here. I can't be here at the moment because they're, you know, they're out from my head. But you can stay here and work. And once in 1 Corinthians, twice in Philippians, and then here in Berea, when there's an issue that's being brought up, Paul's first, one of his first options is, well, I'm going to write a letter, but also hopefully here soon, I'm just going to send you Timothy. I can't come right now, hopefully in the future, but I'll give you the next best thing. Here's Timothy. So I, there's that aspect of, I think Paul sees himself 
and Timothy some. Ben, you have anything you want to add? Well, let's talk about the relationship with Timothy and, and Paul and, and how that can apply to us. What can we gain uh, for our own relationships and learn from our own relationships for, from Timothy and Paul's relationship? Do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, uh, when we look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy, um, I think the first thing we have to understand is before we become a Paul to someone, we have to first be a Timothy. Uh, like we were saying earlier with, with Barnabas and Saul and, and Barnabas and Paul, uh, Paul was that uh, student to, to Barnabas perhaps, Barnabas was the mentor to Paul. Well, it's the same situation with Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus, Paul and a couple others throughout the uh, New Testament. As we look at our theme, From Darkness to Light, when I think about these three companions, to me Barnabas was the one who showed Paul the light, who... who helped him remain in the light, who showed him those ropes. And then Silas was the one who kept him in the light in the darkest of times. And then you turn around and Timothy was the one that Paul repeated the process with. Paul turned the favor to the next generation. And so the first thing about Timothy I, I, I take away is before we can be a Paul, before we can be a mentor, we first have to be a Timothy. And if we're going to be a Timothy the number one thing we're going to have to be is coachable. The number one thing we're going to have to be is teachable, moldable, uh, someone who is able to listen to constructive criticism, right? Sometimes we think when someone says constructive criticism, this is the most least constructive thing you've ever said, you know? This is not constructive, this is harmful. But actuality, we have to see it as constructive. We have to see it as someone trying to help us, someone trying to bring us to where we need to be in their opinion, right? So to be Timothy, to be this relationship, we're going to have to be coachable, we're going to have to be moldable, we're going to have to be teachable, because that's exactly what Timothy was. Timothy received the instructions from Paul, received the commandments from Paul, and he went out there and did exactly what he was told to do. He did exactly what his mentor wanted him to do, and that is why he's the beloved faithful son. That is why he is... Uh, reckon to being this son in the faith. And you think about the life of Paul, someone who didn't have children, someone who didn't have a wife who then therefore couldn't have children with. So he found Timothy, he found Titus, he found others, and he was that father to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, we see one of these instances that uh, we see about how he feels about Timothy. He says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful Son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy was that trusted son who would continue the work that Paul laid before him. And as Paul was uh, martyred, he knew that Timothy would be the one to take up the mantle, to take up his place in the church and continue to preach the gospel to continue to preach the word in season and out of season, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering. Verse 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? He knew that Timothy would be the one that understood that there would be those who had itching ears, and Timothy would be the one who preached the gospel anyway against all those false teachers. So number one, we have to understand with Timothy, we have to be Timothy before we can be Paul. And number two 
in order to be Timothy, we got to be coachable and moldable, or else we'll never understand and we'll never get to experience this relationship, this companionship that we see between Paul and Timothy. Mingu, Jay, do you have any additional thoughts? Okay. Um, I mean, it's great to have, uh, you know, a Timothy or Timothys in our life. Uh, so, um, I think to encourage us or to uh, challenge us, what if we try to be Paul? What if we try to be proved as a mentor in the church, man and woman? You know, whoever, as we get mature, as we train ourselves, as we, uh, you know, study the Word of God and understand the will of God and understand the uh, church and understand uh, our work ministry so that we can mentor somebody, to prepare ourselves to be a mentor to somebody, to a young man, to newcomers or to people. That would be great. I think that is a really challenging thing and really the thing that we may have to think about ourselves. So am I, am I going the direction, going in the direction one day that I would be a mentor to my children or to my friends or to uh, our young uh, brothers and sisters in the church. So I think I would like to ask you to challenge yourself, yourselves uh, to that. So I'd like to close this out with this um, reminder from tonight's lesson. The ultimate lesson from tonight is be a Barnabas. Surround yourself with Silas's. Pursue a Paul and train a Timothy. With that, let's go to God in prayer as we wrap up tonight's study. Heavenly Father, it's an honor to, to uh, come together and worship you and study your word. May we not take for granted the opportunity that's been afforded to us tonight. I thank you for the, the men that are joining me up here and, and their knowledge of your word and their ability to speak it and communicate it and share it with this audience. And Lord, thank you for... Um, uh, uh, this means we have to examine your word. May we leave here fed tonight, and may we seek, Lord, to be a Barnabas to somebody, to choose Silas's to surround us. May we, Lord, seek out a Paul to mentor us, and may we mature in such a fashion that we will eventually train a Timothy. Thank you, Lord, for this life of this man that, that is able to... Uh, Teach us and, and mold us and guide us. And Lord, help us all to live a life that imitates you. We love you, Lord. We are indebted to you. We are grateful for what you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to reflect that in every moment of our life. It is through your Son's name that we offer this prayer. Amen.